This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Darnall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Monday, August 28, 2023. Wow. We're already into August, and then it's going to be September, and then it's going to be Brovenloft. Ha, ha, ha. I'm trying to figure out how to uh, do. You say Brooktober, Brooktober, Bro Brotober, October. I don't know. But it's coming. Um, yeah, the uh, things are beginning to heat up. Uh, it's it's this is about to become an annual gaming event online for anybody. Anybody who listens to the show who doesn't know, uh, it'll be a multi-campaign world uh, game event for your Dungeons and Dragons and your Axe and whatever else you play at the table. Uh, Brovenloft will be uh, a month-long event with uh, a small slice of uh, world where... Great horrible evils and powers are kept imprisoned, and they duke it out. Over what? We don't know. Who cares? Uh, one of them is the Count from Sesame Street. Uh, whatever. But uh, any those of us in the back channels, I may have, I may, I may be in the back channels here with the uh, people who play the big evil creatures things are moving the game master master cast has uh has started getting everybody going and beginning the hype in the channel in the discord server and on twitter so i think we're gonna have another full-blown uh event this year um what does that mean what is it, what does that mean? Uh, it it means that for pure entertainment value, you can watch the antics of some of the uh, funniest, uh, most amusing people I've ever encountered um, in my years of playing role playing games, uh, interacting in a completely silly, yet silly scenario, yet somehow is so serious that they all got together and played out a mass battle with thousands of units over the course of like four days straight. Um, I mean, they spent hours and hours and hours gaming out massive battles with mummies and evil clerics versus vampires and tanks and whatever. Um, it was really fun to watch last year. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Um, and there are going to be assistant uh, DMs this year so that things can go uh, more smoothly than it did last year because Kess uh, just got overwhelmed. And apparently there are – the number of patrons have now increased – unimaginably 
the the actual tweet I read said hunt into the hundreds, but I I don't know that I can believe that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so y- y- there, there's going to be a bunch more people uh, vying for your attention and for screen time and for dominance. Uh, last year, uh, it was hard. It was hard to declare a winner. There were a few losers, um, including fan favorite gangster rapper. But uh, uh, but we had the Pope of Rome. Apparently, there's a there's a twisted version of Rome in the uh, amongst all the Halloween monsters. He he dominated pretty well in the second half of the month. Um, I I mean I don't know what I, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, it's a great way for if you like if you like to run Halloween themed games if you uh, you know if you liked the original Ravenloft setting from Dungeons and Dragons if you uh, you know like to have monster Halloween themed sessions in the month of October uh, you know here's a good opportunity there's crazy stuff happening um, all game masters are sort of welcome to run games in the setting. Um, and all you have to do is coordinate with the dungeon masters, you know, if you want to actually interact with the, the weird battle for control of Brovenloft. But that's how these guys do it, right? They just, they love to set up a game scenario where, uh, sort of everybody's put in this box and, and you sort of shake up the box and, just watch what organically develops from the game. Um, last year it was rap battles over Twitter and um, a uh, a Godzilla wearing a floral pattern shirt and sandals and socks, you know, destroying the castle of the Count from Sesame Street and and just weird, wild stuff uh, that comes out. Um, I don't know if you're if you're a serious elf name type player. Maybe that sounds a little too weird, a little too gonzo for you. But in the moment, it's really entertaining. Um. Yeah, we had a lot of fun in Broken Loft last year. Uh, I I wish I were able to play this time. Um, I am claiming for myself the title of the high score from last year's Brovenloft uh, as a player, not as one of these, uh, these patrons. Um, uh, in, in, in D&D terms, I think I looted the most treasure, got the most experience points. I'm really happy with that, what happened in my performance. I'm out this year, so someone else is going to have to step up and uh, win that title's up for grabs this year. Uh, so go out there, you know, play games, play games with your buddies, play games in, inside the world, have fun. And, but I'm going to be out because uh, October is my wedding, so I'm actually not going to be able to play much of anything that month. And what about you? What's your plans, Warpig? For Brovenloft? Yeah. Uh, I don't have any right now. I, uh, Last year I you ran been... a couple of games. Yeah, had a, yeah we had a really I... fun session that was uh, uh, based on the mummy. 
the Brendan Fraser mummy. That was good. And another monster session in a German town. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm supposedly there's going to be people running things more this year. So I'm hoping to be able to play instead of run things. That's my goal to to just enjoy things instead of because I don't have the time to devote to being one of the uh, uh, one of the patrons, one of the you know lords of the realms. It just. Mm -hmm. Nothing I can do about it. So I want to. I want to enjoy things as a player. Uh, speaking of which, what happened this week uh, in Trilopolis? Because I wasn't there. And I'll tell you uh, why I wasn't there. Yeah. Is I thought it was Wednesday and it was Thursday. No. That'll be the one time I don't send you a text message to remind you of the game. I don't know who uh, was running. I don't know what happened. Uh, we played in uh, we played in Machador of the famous Macho Mandolf, and uh, the crew decided to follow up on some cultists who appear to be thralls of a giant ancient red dragon in the mountains um so some some cultists or dragon thralls were discovered amongst the townspeople of a town called garda and we went into the mountains into the wilderness to follow their their trail Um, there were there were dungeons involved. We encountered no dragons, unfortunately. Um, one funny moment, uh, one funny moment was the uh, garbage dungeon. <laughs> we uh, we tracked a, a group of monsters to their lair, and it turned out to be a dungeon. And the first three rooms were more or less empty, except for piles of refuse. <laughs> and after the third room, we just packed up our stuff and left caved in the entrance to the cave and walked away we said nope not today Ain't nobody got time for that nobody has time for that it's exactly what we said um so yeah uh the the characters uh, enjoyed the little traipsing through the wilderness and uh we defeated some displacer beasts and looted their treasure it was a uh, I think after the we had two straight weeks of hardcore dungeon crawling, and before that we were also crawling in the underground, underneath a volcano, hunting that dragon's lair. So I think everybody needed a break, and so kind of a it was a lighthearted, um, relaxed kind of session, uh, where we uh, 
you know, we actually, we kind of just enjoyed uh, hanging out for the night. But we did get some play in, and we did claim some treasure, which, as you know, uh, that's what happens when you're unable to make the game. We we thought we had broken the curse, Warpig, because when you're there, we never get any loot. Sorry, it's true. It happens. Uh, so halfway through this garbage dungeon, we're all sort of looking at each other going, oh, no. We're going to get nothing tonight. But we we pulled through at the end. We uh, we did have some fun, and we did get some loot. So, so were the cultists inside the cave? They were not actually. Uh, we didn't get it, we didn't get our eyes on any of the cultists throughout the session. Um, it was a uh, it was a group of monsters, uh, a group of ghouls, and we tracked those ghouls back to their lair. And the lair turned out to be, you know, like some ancient ruins or something. So we thought to look into it to see if there was any trace. Well, maybe the cultists went this way. Maybe they're in hiding in this dungeon but after three rooms of trash we decided that there was going to be nothing in there uh we we had we decided we had gone the wrong way and so we just left and kept exploring like i've had enough of this i'm out yep it was a great moment too because even even the dungeon master uh says Boy, this dungeon sucks. <laughs> we all just decided, more or less, all at once. We were like, yeah, this dungeon sucks. Let's leave. Uh, we have wandered into the trash heap of a bunch of monsters, and that's all that's here. We want out. Um. Let's see, news. Uh, apparently, Phil Spencer and the CEO of Larian Games sat down and had a talk at uh, Gamescom, and Baldur's Great Gate 3, instead of coming out sometime next year, will be coming to the Xbox this year, the Xbox series. Um, so that's happening. So Ooh, it's not a lot of good buzz about Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, it's not going to be way behind the PlayStation 5 like it uh, originally had been rumored to be. Mm. Not that that was a rumor. That was actually the truth. <laughs> um, Dune Part 2 uh, has been delayed because the universe giveth and the universe taketh away. Well, that was a victim of the writer strike. That that's was the analysis. Uh, that was my analysis. I don't know that that's been confirmed, but uh, it's been delayed until March of next year. Um, I here's the thing: if I could venture off topic for just a second. Warner Brothers was bragging that they saved $100 million by not paying writers to write scripts to make into movies. And so I'm like, congratulations, you're a movie studio who's not making any movies. Well, that means you're not going to have any movies to put into theaters. 
and fine, you're making garbage and you're losing money on it because you're making garbage. And that may be, you know, not losing hundreds of millions may be just as good as, you know, making money at this point. Maybe that's the best you can hope for after this long string of failures, uh, of which sadly Blue Beetle appears like it's going to be another one. Um, it looked like it looks like it's not even going to break even with its production budget, much less its uh, production and marketing. So that'll be Blue Beetle, The Flash, um, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and whatever DC movie came before that that I can't even remember. Um, all of which have been, you know, abject failures in the marketplace, which is sad because. You know, Zachary Levi is a great guy and you want his Shazam to succeed. Um, and supposedly Blue Beetle is actually an okay movie. So um, if it had come out at any other time, it had probably done pretty well. But people are sick of, of what's been pumped out by Warner Brothers and Marvel Studios for the last three years, four years. So they just stopped going and seeing those movies plus they're not going to the theaters as much as they were before covid which brings me back to movie studio not making movies see this ties into the point i wanted to make which is if you're a movie studio and you're not making movies that means movie theaters theater chains aren't going to have movies to show in their theaters and they can't do that indefinitely. They're going to go out of business. So as a movie studio, when you start making movies again, you're screwed because you're not going to have any place to show them. You've just cut your own throat. You've essentially made it so that streaming is your only option. And streaming isn't making anybody money right now. Nobody's making money on streaming except maybe Apple because Apple doesn't do loss leaders. And so they might be the only ones making money off of streaming. Um, but then again, they've got a very different approach to streaming. Apple seems to believe in prestige pictures above all else. I mean, they're, they want a best picture Oscar for uh, CODA. And they've got another movie that just came out, which apparently is getting Oscar buzz too. Apple. Can you believe that? Apple computers, which I remember when it was beleaguered, when people thought it was, you know, on the verge of collapse, when the stock price was down around $14 a share in 1998, 1999. And everybody thought it was, you know, where you had commentators literally saying, I would uh, sell sell the company, break it up, and give all the money back to the shareholders and stuff, because it was never going to amount to anything. And now it is, it is again, the most well-capitalized company on the planet, and it's got an Oscar and uh, other awards, and it's got another movie coming up with Oscar buzz. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to win, I'm not even saying that Coda should have won, but it's still really shocking that 
that it's become such a juggernaut and a powerhouse. So it may be the only company that's making money off of streaming right now. Everybody's losing money off of streaming. And most people are losing subscribers. Uh, Disney Plus, with the entire Disney catalog, is hemorrhaging subscribers. Um, Netflix, which apparently... Um, has been uh, Amazon, sorry, Amazon has been canceling projects left and right because uh, after the their Lord of the Rings abomination went over so poorly, they've used this, um, they've used this strike as an excuse to start canceling basically everything, even things that were really great, even things that they had already renewed, uh, like the peripheral, um, which I'm pretty sure we reviewed, uh, or I reviewed, uh, which was a great series on Amazon, but, you know, strike happened, they canceled it, even though it was well into pre-production. Um, if, if you have a chance, I still recommend that. It's a lot of fun. Um, but that's, that's not the only thing they, they came out in the last couple of weeks and they canceled like three or four different projects. Of course, Wheel of Time's still pushing forward. Of course, <laughs> Rings, of Rings of Power is still pushing forward. You know, they're canceling everything, but what they actually need to cancel. Um, and, uh, Netflix is uh, hemorrhaging subscribers, and apparently some of the original stuff they're having right now is actually good. Uh, the Extractor 2, I probably got that title wrong, it's close but not quite right, with Chris Hemsworth. The first one was good. It was an enjoyable movie. Again, we reviewed it here. Um, so, you know... Like I said on Twitter, I'm probably going to have to watch that and review it. Um, and uh, so we're waiting for that to um, waiting to review that, waiting to see that. Um, but yeah, streaming is proving to be a disaster for people, and they're just pouring money down holes. And at the same time, this writer's strike has made it so they're not making movies anymore. And it seems like what they're doing with Dune is just delaying movies into the hole so they have something to release. But uh, what they have to release is just not enough that's going to keep theaters up. They're not going to keep theaters running. Um, so they keep on making exactly the wrong decisions that you, you can't easily back out from. There are mistakes you can make that are temporary mistakes. And then there are mistakes you can make that are permanent, that are going to sink you for a long time that you can't easily back out from. And as we saw during COVID, economic damage is not easily repaired. It's not trivial. 
you can do a lot of economic damage to a country that isn't easy to fix. Even if you stop doing the thing that causes the damage, it doesn't magically come back. And they have been desperately trying to drive audiences away with the garbage they've been making since 2012, 2014, and are finally succeeding. And they're, they're finding it very, very hard, even when they have good product, to get people to come see the good product. And now they're going to do more damage how do you organically grow a theater chain? That is a project of decades. That is not something that you can just throw money at and have it get fixed, especially if your audience's habits change, which may be a permanent change. I mean, once they get out of the habit of seeing movies in theaters, you may never get them to want to go see movies in theaters again. They may just decide that going back and seeing movies in their house is what they want to do, and that's it. And, and then that's, you're stuck. that's been something that's in decline for a long time, like theaters in particular, what we're talking yeah, and and you know that it, it was it had been becoming less and less of a a social event and less and less of a like a family outing or or that kind of uh, pastime. It's just not a pastime anymore. I mean, if if theaters become a boutique thing to where it is, uh. It is a hobby of cinephiles. It's a hobby of people who really love movies. Then it's going to become something like, um, like your IMAX theaters, right? Where you're just going to have to show literally IMAX movies because that's where the cinephiles are going to go. Um, you're going to have to shoot them in IMAX and show them in IMAX because that's where people want to go see them. And it is, uh, it's going to be a disaster because they're not making money on streaming. Streaming services commodify movies. Uh, just like the Kindle has commodified books and especially Kindle Unlimited and things like that. And it's a side effect of the barriers to production have gotten so low that there's so much material flooding the marketplace that any one piece of entertainment by and large has become a commodity. It's become more or less easily replaceable, especially since Hollywood, which has the money to make great movies that could be irreplaceable, only it's not. It's making trash. It's making not just bad movies or mediocre movies. It's making deliberately repellent movies that are designed to repel the audience. They're designed to offend the audience. They're designed to, the content is designed 
to say to the audience, you are morally inferior to the movie makers. You are mentally inferior to the movie makers. Your dearest held beliefs are not only wrong, they're backwards, you're inbred, you are the past, we are better than you, and you can't keep making entertainment based around that as your central thesis and expect to be successful in the long run. And once you've driven people away enough, even if you realize your mistake and change your habits, it's going to be nearly impossible to win that audience back. And then people who have different things, who just want to entertain people, have not yet built up the skill set or don't have the talent because the people with talent are being hired and sucked off to the bad places. Um, that they're, they're not being able to replace it. And so truly great entertainment is now lost to us. And what we have is the best you can hope for is good entertainment. That doesn't insult you to your face. Um, and I'm talking about movies here. People who are listening to this who write books or make role-playing games or do comics or whatever. I'm not talking about you. I'm, I'm talking specifically about cinema because cinema has a much higher barrier with regards to money and financing. And even a cheap movie costs a million dollars. That's a hell of a lot of money. And that's a drop-dead cheap movie. Um, I mean, that was a cheap movie in the 80s. And, and you know, it's been... Uh, a million dollars in the 80s is what, like 10 million now? 20 million oh, yeah. now? Um, With inflation, it's like that. Yeah. So you just don't have people who have the deep enough pockets to put money in to expensive products that can directly. Uh, compete with the quality, the technical quality that Hollywood can put out. But at the same time, audiences are sick of the stories. Audiences are sick of the condescension. Audiences are sick of, you know, getting figuratively spat in the face of uh, by these studio movies, even cheap studio movies. So the, the best you can hope for is good movies or movies that you say, you know what, I don't care anymore about high quality acting. Good enough acting is good enough for me. I don't care enough about, I don't care about, you know, perfect precision in, um, screenwriting or whatever and it is it is absolute i'm not saying it's going to be like this forever but it's going to take a while again like movie theaters 
the work of building up a uh, the work of building up a theater chain is a work of decades, and the work of building up an alternative theater, uh, an alternative to the studio system, is the work of decades. And it only takes one uh, one failure to wipe you out because you're dealing with so much money, and you don't have people who are willing to invest in it. Um, so it's a mess, and Hollywood is is doing its best to drive itself out of business. And because it's been doing its best to drive itself out of business, now it wants to uh, cheap out on the most critical aspect of storytelling, which I don't care. I don't care about this strike. I don't care about the people, not everyone. But most of the people writing scripts in, in Hollywood, I don't care about them. I don't care that they think they're not making enough money. I don't care that they're worried about being replaced by AI. One, AI can't be copyrighted. So if you write a script by AI, it can't be copyrighted. Anybody can copy it. So you really don't have to, you know, fret about that. That was just reaffirmed re, uh, by a judicial desist, uh, decision last week. But two... Um, these are the same people who've been calling the fans of the work Nazis and scum and losers. They're the same people who've been saying, our movies aren't for you if you are, and, and I'm just quoting here, this is just the news. I don't want to get off into politics. I don't want to discuss the politics of the situation. But just the news of the situation, they've been saying, hey, this new Charlie's Angels movies isn't for straight white men. We don't want you to watch this movie because they have a loathing of straight white men. Fine. And then these writers get in a, in a strike and expect me to care that they have grievances against the studios. I'm not supporting the studios either. I hope they both lose. The people I support. The people who I think should be paid more are the technical people, the gaffers, the best boys, you know, people in sound and light, people who keep the craft services table stocked with food, people who haul equipment around, people who wrangle animals, people who strike sets, people who put up sets, set decorators, all of these people who make movies work, VFX artists. Um, who are overworked and underpaid, those are the people I think need more money. Those are the people I think deserve more money. Writers, I don't care about. If you get a better deal, fine. If you don't, don't care. Studios, if studios go out of business, eh, they've been trying to drive themselves out of business for you know, the last 15, 20 years. Actually, they've been trying to drive themselves out of business since selling digital copies of their uh, material became a thing, and they just decided to screw consumers over in trying to do it. Um, it has been uh, their problems with consumers, loathing the consumers, dumping on the consumers, and refusing to produce quality works. All of this economic dislocation is their fault. 
And if they don't wake up and do something about it, then they're going to find themselves in a continuing downward spiral. And it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. I, I don't hate them. I don't want to see them underpaid or whatever. I'm not happy to hear that writers are losing their homes, but at the same time, I'm not They've writing letters. They've made their bed, haven't they? I'm not writing letters to studios demanding they settle the, you know, strike. I'm not posting tweets in support of the writers. You made it clear for the last 15 years you hate me. Why would I support you? You hate me. I mean, it's come time that you people on Twitter are demanding my support for the writers and getting angry that I don't support the writers. And I don't mean me personally, just me as a general population. And it's like, well, sorry. You don't deserve my support. You haven't earned my support. You haven't earned my loyalty. In fact, you've done your best to destroy any uh, warmth or, you know, goodwill. goodwill. You've done your best to destroy goodwill. You have taken all the goodwill in the world, hauled it out, and burned it to the ground. And that applies to both the studios and the writers. So live with it. This is, this is the world you made. I can't fix it. I don't have any solutions for it. And my only, my outlook is it's going to take people humbling themselves, throwing away their arrogant attitudes, admitting they were wrong, and really starting to work for the audience, really starting trying to earn back audience goodwill, and leaving their personal vendettas at the door, leaving their bitterness and rage at what they think the world's done with them at the door and just starting making quality entertainment again. But I know that it is physically possible that that can be done. You know, it's not like the laws of the universe prevent that. It's not like Asimov, or it's not like, uh, Newton's three laws of motion prevent that from happening, but at the same time, it's so psychologically abhorrent to the current crop of writers and, and executives that they're addicted to contempt for the audience and I don't it, it, it's just it, it takes a long time to get out of that mindset it takes a long time to get out of any entrenched mindset even if they were highly motivated to do it started today I don't I, it's not going to happen anytime soon even if they were completely sincere about it so yeah, they're they're digging their own graves again and again and again. In fact, they dug their own graves. They hit rock bottom and dug another grave before that and then dug uh, underneath that into the Paris catacombs 
and then discovered below the Paris catacombs an entire uh, unknown civilization. It's like the rats in the walls down here. If you've ever read the H.P. Lovecraft story where they just keep on digging deeper and deeper and deeper and the caverns go deeper and deeper and deeper and there's more and more and they open up more and more and there's more and more bodies and that's what it's like. That's how deeply they've dug and how much, how big and huge the grave is. It's like five under mountains down there. It's like all the biggest mega dungeons in the world glommed together. That's how big the grave is that they've dug. And that's just one writer. So, yeah, they're in trouble and they're making it worse. And I, they don't see that. They don't understand that. And uh, I, I'm sure they're getting screwed over by the studios. I'm sure they're getting screwed out of money by the studios. But they have been screwing audiences out of quality entertainment for a long, long time. And deliberately so. And when the audience said, this is not what we wanted, here are some, you know, here are some changes you can make. They heaped abuse on the audience. They talked to each other on Twitter and made fun of the audience. They told the audience to go away. And now that the audience has gone away, well, that's it. This is what you asked for. What's what's the Rand posting line? This is the world you asked for? Yep. This is the world you asked for. I tried to warn you. You only had to listen. You so, only had to listen. That's my rant. Oh, that, was, that was pretty. That was pretty passionate rant there. I'm just tired of people telling me I have to care. I'm like, no, I don't. You don't deserve me caring. That's right. Don't call it a grave. This is the future you chose. That's right. That's the one. Sven Sorensen. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Don't call it a grave. This is the future you chose. So, anyways, um, do you have any comments on that before we head into the uh, topic of the show? I, I wouldn't add much more. I mean, some of the... Uh, yeah, to your point about streaming services, streaming's not making anybody money. And, and they've slit their own throats in terms of the cultural impact of theaters and movies and, um, you know, chasing after dollars that aren't there. You know, even just on a practical level, we know why streaming doesn't work because people subscribe for one month at a time and they watch everything they want to watch and then they cancel the subscription. Um, and in terms of the writer's strike, absolutely, 100%. I do not value any of the writer's output. 
Uh, they've they've made it clear that they hate us. Uh, they've also made it clear that quality of writing is not important at all. And so they they spent so many years destroying all possible goodwill so that when it was their turn to get in trouble, all of a sudden, nobody cares about them. Sooner or later, you will they, need uh, audience goodwill. They earned it. They they uh, they made their bed, and they have to sleep in it. Bradford Walker says that apparently this isn't as much of a problem outside of the West. He says you have to go overseas to find great cinema right now, same as you do for television or go indie. Um, I don't know. I know that uh, India's got a big, big uh, popular movie scene. I don't know. Uh, I don't know any more than that. But yeah, uh, India's India is a huge place for movies nowadays. We've seen a lot of uh, stuff out of Korea as far as new television shows and movies. That doesn't mean we can watch it. You can only handle so many subtitles. But I think that's all I have to say about that. All right. Um, so sort of not really switching the subject, kind of switching the subject, uh, Peacock, uh, which is uh, NBC's streaming service, because their logo is the Peacock, It's clever, right? <laughs> sure. Um, they have some original series, and uh, one of their original series is based on Twisted Metal, the old PlayStation Gonzo car combat game, whose most iconic character is Sweet Tooth, the insane clown in the uh, food van with the burning head. And I will confess, because I'd never really owned a, a PlayStation up until the PlayStation 3, and then when I did own a PlayStation, there wasn't a version of... Um, there wasn't a version of Twisted Metal I could play on it, because I didn't have one of the original expensive PlayStation 3s that I could play backwards compatible. Um, so I've only played Twisted Metal two or three times. Uh, I've played it enough, however, to have gotten the gist of the game. And it's an enjoyable game. You drive fast, you have weapons, you crash, you shoot, you blow things up, and, you know, you have death matches, and that's Twisted Metal. Yep. And it's built around iconic vehicles with iconic drivers who are not made to be characters per se. They're not made to be people. They're made to be video game, you know. The, the vehicles themselves are the characters. Right. I mean, in one notable case, there's just a huge guy who's like strapped. Like he is the, the car. He's just this huge guy who's uh, sort of locked into a, an axle and his arms are part of the axle for two giant wheels. Like that's one of the characters. 
you know, and 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 the right the clown, the clown isn't really a character. It's the ice cream truck, with the haunting honk, and the weird ice cream missiles, right? The like the cars themselves are the characters, not the drivers, not the, not the racers. So we played that game for hours. I, I twisted metal two in particular, um, tons of fun. I, I, I don't, I don't, this has nothing to do with the show. Uh, what a cool game, just madcap driving around in your wacky vehicle, shooting missiles and machine guns at each other. And I've played other similar games that were like twisted metal, but not as gonzo. And, and so not quite as fun. There was a 70 theme, seventies theme one. Um, that wasn't as good, wasn't as fun, but, you know, whatever. So what they decided to do with Twisted Metal, the IP, I really hate that term IP, really hate <laughs> it. Um, you know, you're about to get served some, some warm dough for corporate slop when you hear the phrase IP. Um, <laughs> they decided to turn Twisted Metal into a TV series, into a streaming TV series. Here it comes. And, Open up wide. <laughs> and, and to put personalities and uh, a coherent world background and history and like talking between people into Twisted Metal. So it's sounds great. Let's let's do it. Um it stars Anthony Mackey who plays Falcon who got promoted to Captain Falcon or Captain America Falcon, or whatever he is now, who the only thing I can remember him since he's become Captain America is that terrible, terrible line from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is, you've got to do better, Senator. That's a which, terrible line. Which, which is everything I think of now when I think of these writers is, you've got to do better, writers. Um, <laughs> so... I watched, there's 10 episodes of Twisted Metal, and I watched all 10 of them in a row. Just in one night. So, um, and I said on Twitter, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but that's not really true. It didn't really seem like a good idea at the time it seemed like an idea at the time mm. <laughs> i wanted to watch a post-apocalyptic show and um if there had been a zombie show available i would have watched that but there wasn't then i remembered there was twisted metal 
And all I kept thinking when I was watching Twisted Metal is this would have been better with zombies. But that was Carmageddon, not Twisted Metal. <laughs> uh, or at least the edited version of Carmageddon that got released in some, you know, in some places. So I'm not saying Twisted Metal is 100% bad because it is. Some of the characters are interesting. It's got, have you ever seen Wings? Oh, that old sitcom? Yeah, do you remember the dumb mechanic Thomas Hayden Christian? Thomas Hayden Church played Church. him, yeah. Yeah, he plays a cop who's in a SUV. I assume that's one of the original characters. Yes, yeah, there's a there's a cop car. Uh, let me think. I think his name, actually, I think its name is Outlaw. So he plays a cop in this show. Um They really went all out on the characterization for uh, Falcon, for Anthony Mackie, and they made him a character called Jane, uh, John Doe. Because he doesn't know his name, you see. Hmm, he drives this yeah. uh, Toyota Cessna or Toyota Corolla. Of course. Um, I don't... Is that a character from the game? I I don't think it is, no. Oh, that yeah. sounds original. I didn't think so either. So apparently, in the near future, there's some hacker thing, and the internet goes down, or some virus and the internet goes down, and when the internet goes down, all the banking goes down, and all the power grids go down, and, and all of the you know, the nuclear power plants melt down and uh, the world falls apart and all the cities build huge walls around them and throw all the psychos and criminals outside the cities. And outside the cities, they, uh, the psychos and criminals have cars and uh, with missiles and stuff around it, and they drive around and they kill each other. And then you have these guys called milkmen. And then you have these guys called milkmen. And milkmen. what milkmen do is they drive from city to city and they deliver things. Sure. Because, you know, back in the day, Milkman used to deliver milk. Uh, yeah, I follow. Um, well, that's why it's clever, you see. Is there milkman? That's why it's funny. Oh. Oh, funny. Yeah, funny. Funny. Um, so... The show opens up with a big, huge car combat scene, which is actually really cool. And there are occasional car combat scenes throughout the series, which are, for the most part, really well done and, and a lot of fun. I don't remember hating any of them, um, but there's not as many as in, of them as you would wish. Because when they start blowing up, when they stop blowing up cars, when cars stop blowing up, 
that's when people start talking. Mm. Um, and when people start talking is, is when, is when the show is not at its strongest. <laughs> it is not at its strongest. And unfortunately they decided that what they would do with this show, and maybe it was a matter of budget because it's on Peacock and that's not a big streaming service. In fact, I don't remember. It, I, I think that might be. Well, well, if it's not free, it's like $4.99. So however much people aren't making on streaming services, Peacock really, really isn't making uh, money on streaming. Um. But they are, it, it, whether so, it's the budget is probably pretty low, so they probably didn't have enough money to do as much car combat as you would like in a show called Twisted Metal that's about Twisted Metal. And it's not a, it depends on what your standards for what you're going to watch on TV are. If your standards for television are, I won't watch anything that's worse than The Wire or Breaking Bad or uh, Sopranos, then this is not the show for you. If the standards for television or movies are, it's a B-movie, they blow things up, uh, and it's mostly entertaining, then, yeah. Unfortunately, the first episodes are not the most entertaining episodes. Um, Sweet Tooth is funny. They, he's in charge of Las Vegas um, and they do a lot with Sweet Tooth he doesn't make sense as a character but I don't think they really understood that him not making sense as a character is what made it work in the show just saying hey he doesn't, they should have made this a satire. They tried to play it too straight. All you can do with Twisted Metal is make it a satire, right? Make it obviously satirical so that it is humorous. So that it is just fun. And they tried to actually make it kind of a serious story. Big mistake. Um, I mean, it's got satirical things in it, but all the satirical things in it are the exaggerated things that came from the game. Like Sweet Tooth, at one point, he's been driving around the entire show and his head's bald. And then at one point, they're charging into the finale of the series, the, the final car combat of the series, which is cool. And he douses his forehead or douses his head with lighter fluid 
and says to the guy he's picked as his uh as his henchman uh he hands him one of those uh long thin lighters for uh you know for grills and says i'll tell you when to light it up and then he has it lighted up and it genuinely amusing and then he drives around with his head on fire if they had made it more obviously satirical so that it instead of tr- doing less to make it it should a, have been the running man it should have been the running man with cars instead of arnold schwarzenegger that's all it had to be yeah, they tried you to make it a coherent man. world. They're like, okay, let's sit down and let's get serious about this world building. And we're seriously about this world building and there's cities and they've got walls and there's this. And it's like, no, you just have these lunatics driving around, getting in fights and they're, you know, getting in fights in big arenas and, and that's it. Because that's the new sports team in the, in the, you know, grim darkness of the near future. Uh, there was a huge economic crash and sports was too expensive. So people drive around in cars and blow things up. And that's it. You know, in these empty cities that were wiped out by a pandemic, people watch them for fun. You know, yeah. The running man with cars. Yeah. Or RoboCop. It just... With the assist. RoboCop, great satire. Honest to God, great movie. In fact, I think I'm just going to log off right now and go watch (laughs) RoboCop. So, it's not like it's a bad show. It's just that it tries to take itself kind of seriously. And there's just too much in it. it. It's like the writer knew that they couldn't take it seriously. But like they felt like they had to take it seriously, so they were trying to take it seriously. It would have been a lot yeah, that more sound enjoyable. Like setup for success. It would have been a lot more enjoyable if they had just said, "Hey, let's roll with the goofiness. Let's just roll with it." Instead of trying to make it, you know. If it had been mass media from the beginning, like people were watching this on their TVs, or even, you know, Death Race 2000, that is a show that didn't take itself too seriously. A, a movie that didn't take itself too seriously. And I'm thinking of the original. Um, I'm not saying it should have been that gruesome or that violent, but it had the same thing. Cars, combat, guns, missiles, colorful characters where, you know, the cars were almost more of a character than the people. Um, 
you just you got to sit down with twisted metal and say screw it we're just gonna have fun here we can't take this seriously so we're not going to make fun of the fans we're not going to make fun of the material but we know this material isn't supposed to be you know literally serious so let's make it a satire and good enjoyable cyberpunk style satires the good ones are like the running man they know they're not taking themselves seriously they're trying to have fun with it like you're you laugh as you sort of think along the way wow yeah it could happen like that <laughs> so the car combats are great there's not enough of them well i'm glad it was a decision that you made the the characters they're trying to make these deep meaningful backstories that you're supposed to care about oh you know this guy has lost his family it's tragic this lady lost her brother it's tragic um they're having so much time trouble connecting she can't you know open up with anyone um these two oh, people, spare me <laughs> they broke apart this old lady is dying but they're surrounded by the goofiest things. And it's like, you just can't make this work with serious characterization. You just can't. It's too silly. Um, and all the details are silly. And you're like, even like the new details they added, which weren't in the game are silly. So, you just got to roll with it instead of stop making, you know, tragic backstories for new characters you wrote. Just roll with it. Hey, it's, it's John Doe. He wants to, he wants to make a billion dollars because, you know, hot dogs in this future you know, he wants to make a quintillion dollars because hot dogs in this future cost a billion dollars a piece. I don't care. That's funny. You know, and they're holding out dollar bills with one billion dollars on it with zeros that go, you know, all the way across the dollar bill. Just roll with it. Mm. Demolition Man was a satire that was had serious action make the action serious the characters were ridiculous make the action serious and the plot can be you know serious the theme of dictatorship using criminals to try and control the masses another good option or another good example yeah rebellion Absolutely. the themes and the action is serious plot is serious because the people inside the movie don't know they're in a satire right so they take it all seriously but the audience knows it's a satire mm -hmm. um just don't try to pile on these super tragic backstories just enough to 
given character and personality. Uh, by the way, Sweet Tooth's backstory was perfect. Uh, if you watch it, his backstory was so ridiculous, uh, it was perfect satire. It wasn't a tragic backstory. It was a ridiculous backstory, and it was awesome. That's why I say <laughs> the character of Sweet Tooth was the best thing about the show, because everything they should have done with everybody else, they did with Sweet Tooth, and they did it right. I'm not saying this is a terrible show. It's a lot of fun B-movie stuff. Um, I mean, they've got these, uh, here's, here's part of the fun ridiculousness. that I just thought this was awesome. I thought this was great because this is perfectly in character with how the show should have been. They have this group of like 30 tractor trailer rigs who are traveling together as like a tribe. And uh, they have several of the rigs that come together and panels fold down and they move together. And they form this bar that is two tractor-trailer rigs driving close together, but you can't really tell from the inside. And it's awesome. Because it's this country and western bar on wheels. <laughs> and it's great. Um... So, yeah, more of that, more of the ridiculous, satirical stuff that obviously isn't real because the, the obviously the, you know, the stuff isn't real, but the characters inside it take it seriously and just live it. And you don't even have to wink and nod at the audience. You don't even have to think about it. You just do it and say, you know, this reality, this is the way it works. We don't even care. We're not even going to mention it from beginning to end of the series and less of this attempted um dramatic backstory we didn't need a dramatic backstory we didn't need tragedy all we needed was um you know the car fights that were there maybe some more of them and they could have chopped out two episodes and chopped out the the stuff and it would have been great that would have been much much better it's not so much that it's a terrible show it's that it's larded down with some things that just slow it down too much and it's they're trying to make trying to make some stuff serious and and dramatic when you didn't need it so too i'm bad. not saying it's they'll never they'll never learn i'm not saying it's it's great and that you should watch it but i am saying that you know what it was uh, several hours of, of post-apocalyptic car combat, and I have seen way, way worse. It's much better than all your Marvel's streaming series. It's much better than most of your Netflixes. Um, it, you know, like I watched, I watched part of one episode of the Cowboy Bebop streaming live-action show. That was terrible. It was painful. Most of the, it was much, much better than like uh, Book of Boba Fett, much, much better than the Obi-Wan series, um, much better than uh, Discovery, much better than most of Picard. Um, so, 
no, it's not the Sopranos. It's it's not the wire. It's not, you know, this is the highest quality stuff. And it's better than season two of The Walking Dead, I tell you that. Yeah. Um it's better than I really hated Agents of Shield, so that's that's maybe not fair to other people who uh You really hated Agents of Shield. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I, I Really, you may not remember that because I stopped watching Agents of Shield after season four, so I stopped complaining about Agents of Shield. Oh dear, yeah, no, I I didn't finish the first season. I, I watched. Anyway, the, no, it's first four seasons of Agents of Shield, and I complained about that on this show all the time. All the time, it was a running gag for those four years. People were like. You know, Daddy Warpig, why do you hate Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so much? And I'm like, because I watched it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I didn't finish Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I couldn't. Um, that was the first Marvel thing I completely dipped out of. I just stopped. I, I can hardly blame you. Um, so, yeah, it's not terrible. It's not terribly good either. But there's a lot of fun car combat in it. And you literally can do a lot worse on streaming. Sounds like you should just go outside instead. If you're really in the mood for some post-apocalyptic stuff and you don't have anything else to watch, sure, why not? I did. (laughs) So, hey. You know how everybody has like a whole bunch of video games that uh, they haven't finished, that they've like played part of or most of and they haven't finished and then they like never ever finished? That's pretty common, yeah. Yeah, so I actually in the last couple of weeks have been finishing some, a couple of video games that oh, yeah? I just set aside. Uh, I finished Terminator revolutions i think and i finished halo infinity so that's probably what i'll be talking about next week uh and i also started hey, Jedi survivor good. uh and i've been pushing through that the game is huge i'm i feel so angry at ea now retroactively i i, I want to re i want to review that review jedi survivor when i've actually played it and finished it and I don't know if I'm going to do that anytime soon because today is the 28th, right? Sure is. And in three days, people who pre-ordered the premium edition of Starfield get to start playing it on the 31st of August. Everybody else gets to start playing it on the 5th. And it's a Bethesda game, so you know there's hundreds of hours of content there. So I get it for free on my, what is it, on my Game Pass, on the Ultimate Game Pass. Uh, But they had a sale on the Premium Edition content add-ons. So I did a sale. I I bought the Premium Edition add-on content on sale. So that I could start playing it. And this was actually their pitch. I signed on to Xbox to play Halo. 
And they actually had a pitch on the little square on my home screen. Hey, buy the premium edition of, of Starfield on sale and start playing it on the 31st. And it literally took me about five minutes from seeing that ad to buying the premium edition content on sale. I'm like, okay. My, my will was that weak. Sometimes it's tough being you. Um, but I, I didn't pre-order the game. I'm getting the whole game for free. So I didn't spend a hundred dollars because it was literally a hundred dollars for the, to buy the premium edition. So I got the whole game for no additional price. Cause I'm getting it on the, you know, ultimate game pass. Um, and I say not for free, but no additional price. Cause I'm paying a fee monthly. And then, you know, I got the premium edition upgrade at a discount. So I'm going to start playing that on the 31st and uh, um, so I'm not saying I'm reviewing Jedi Survivor next week because the chances that I'll finish Jedi Survivor before I start Starfield are zero. There is no way I'm finishing this game. Um, but I have finished Halo, and I have finished um, uh, Terminator Revolution. Uh, so probably going to be reviewing those next week. Um, those are video games, not TV shows. I had to reassure people on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, I started finishing all these games from my games library. And I'm like... I haven't been kidnapped because that sounds—that sounds like something you'd say, right? To warn people that the kidnappers have gotten you. Yeah. Like, oh no, I really thought Barbie was a great movie. It's like, uh oh, Warpig's been taken. Better, better call the FBI. No. I wasn't kidnapped. I really just decided to sit down and, and finish the games. And I have reviews of I have thoughts. I, I thoughts about the games. Um, so, yeah. We have no guests lined up for the foreseeable future until we line up some guests. So, Quiet. We've been having good stuff though. I've been having good stuff to review. I've been, you know, even if it's not good stuff, the reviews. <laughs> yeah. I want to be very careful about how I phrase that. It's an opportunity to do. Good well, let's. Uh, well, well, let's leave it at that. We're, there's going to be more good stuff to review, even if it's not actually good. Yes. And uh, more good and we'll, reviews uh, of stuff. Good reviews of stuff. Good or not. Good or not. Um, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for hanging out in and chatting, Warpig. Uh, it was fun talking about Twisted Metal, actually. Uh, that was some that was some good nostalgia bait for me. Uh, but I think I am done for this week. 
Hope everybody listening later enjoyed the show. All right, folks, we are signing out for today. Uh, we want to thank everyone who listened live and participated in the chat. We want to thank everyone who will listen later. This is Geek Gab. Uh, we are here on youtube.com slash geek gab. That is youtube.com slash geek gab every Monday night at, um, and I'm doing the math, 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, or you can catch us on uh, the replay, which will be here on YouTube. You can catch us on the Apple Play Store, the Apple iTunes Media Store, the Google Play Store, or on SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab. Download us to the device of your choice or listen to us on the web. We are... Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and click the bell icon and like and... You know, do all that other stuff that that um, that helps you get notified when we're going live. We are signing out for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.